Jake Knapp is the inventor of the design sprint and the New York Times bestselling author of the book Sprint. He's also the co-founder of Character, a venture fund for early stage startups. How and why did you start using Miro? I came from this position of thinking, I don't want to be doing stuff online to thinking now when I do a sprint in person with a company, it's like, we're going to use Miro, even though we're all in the same room, because that's a better way for us to get this work done. As an investor, we're basically investing in their ability to solve problems. We're saying, we think this group of people is going to be able to solve a problem in a really great way and create value by doing it. And actually, you need to give people the tools that can help them make decisions, help them collaborate, help them visualize and see things in a different way. And Miro does all those things. So to me, at least as an investor, I'm thinking, give the team the tools that are going to help them think, that are going to make the most, brighten their, their skills as smart folks. And Miro is at the top of that list. Chapter one, Wayfair welcomes you to the Waberhood. Our hero, Titus Burgess, ambled down the stylish street of an enchanting utopia. A woman waved from a chic lounger. Welcome to the Waverhood, she said, where Wafer helps everyone create a home they love. Titus stared in awe. Bohemian Boulevard, Trendsetter Terrace, Mid-Century Circle. Titus, hmm? you're reading the Wayfair catalog. Oh, you'll love Chapter 2. Wayfair's fast and free shipping saves a potluck. Wayfair, every style, every home. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. Football season is officially in full swing. All of your odds, bets, props, and parlays are available with betonline.ag. Use our promo code BLEAVE50, that's B-L-E-A-V-5-0, to get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However, and whenever it is that you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast live on the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live because it is a podcast. Welcome, 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 everybody. According to my count, it is NFL Monday, week number one, kicking off our fourth season on the Take It Easy podcast, talking NFL after a stupendous week 
uh, to kick off the football season. I'm making it my goal this year to be an emotionally stable football fan now that Comical Sports Memes is gone and I've had some time to move past the Instagram phase of my life now that we're through the pandemic, now that I'm through college, starting a career in sports and working to make our dreams a reality. I am doing my best to remain emotionally grounded throughout this football season. And so, For NFL Week 1, we are going to recap only the best of the best here on the Take It Easy podcast, which really means long-form stories that I find interesting taking away from each week. We're going to... Again, for the 2022 season, give out our Kirk Cousin or our Philip Rivers Memorial Kirk Cousins Purgatory Award, a celebration of quarterbacks whose teams found themselves and found themselves in situations down six with no timeouts, one minute to go, and the length of the field left in front of them, 80 yards and one minute and no timeouts down six, which is uh, where Philip Rivers spent a good portion of his Hall of Fame career and where Kirk Cousins, who was not a Hall of Famer, has assumed the mantle from Philip Rivers. So we will hand out that award once again because I find it incredibly funny. And one day when I'm producing or hosting a sports talk show, we will continue that as one of our longest running bits here on the podcast that we will carry with us many, many years into the future. So we've got that coming up on the show today. We have got analysis of about six to seven games as well that I found interesting and takeaways from each. Every NFL Monday, as a a quick reminder off the top, every NFL Monday is one week closer to Matt Rule being fired by the Carolina Panthers, as always, and will continue to be all throughout the NFL season. Every Monday we come in here and talk, we'll be one week closer to Matt Rule being fired. So, We begin today's show by talking about the game of the day, which, uh, in fairness, we haven't watched Bucks and Cowboys by the time of this recording, but the game of the day for all intents and purposes, the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Cincinnati Bengals, because I was going to come in, I I was kind of mapping out my schedule for watching football today as an emotionally stable football fan who's not going to invest all of his emotional stability into making sure to watch every second of every football game, because ultimately football is an entertainment product, and I should not put as much as my, of as much of my emotional stability into football as I have in the past two years, especially coming out of a pandemic. I have learned lessons, I have grown, and I will show character growth in the analysis and personally when it comes to the National Football League and college football and how I spend my weekends in the fall at large. And so I was going to come in here today and talk about Kansas City and what that looked like, what Green Bay looked like, and all that stuff, and then the Bengals and Steelers game happened, which as the game was going on, in my mind, I was looking for a reason to just sum up this game into one minute. Just take one minute, acknowledge everything that happened, and move on. We do that with some NFL games. In fact, I'll do it right now. Jacksonville and Washington, basically the equivalent of Saturday's Washington State versus Wisconsin game, which was pretty chaotic, pretty fun. Nobody watched it happen. It popped up every now and then on the Red Zone channel. If I asked you to recap for me what happened in the Jaguars and Washington game, most people probably couldn't give you an answer, and it was a great football game, and nobody saw it. It was a pretty crazy moment. 
people know that because this game was going on between Cincinnati and Pittsburgh and the New Orleans game was going on with the Falcons and you had the Colts and Texans which was absolute chaos and you had the Chicago Bears whooping up on the 49ers in the second half like all of these games were going on at the exact same time with the witching hour and fell through the cracks Jacksonville Washington one minute analysis boom move on I was gonna do that for Cincinnati and Pittsburgh and then so many intricate things happened during this game not just with how interesting the product was but also all of what the Cincinnati Bengals will take away from this and what the Pittsburgh Steelers will take away from this without doing the like game to game you know short-term analysis although I will do one thing that is uh, small sample size proven uh there's no point in playing Mitch Trubisky at quarterback for the Pittsburgh Steelers. There's just there's no reason. The Steelers' offense is going to be bad this year. Might as well play Kenny Pickett and start to see what you have and answer the question of what he is. I talked about last week when Pickett was named the third stringer behind Trubisky and Rudolph, and he wasn't. I think he was active, but was third on the depth chart for this game. It basically signaled to me that the Steelers more so viewed. Kenny Pickett as a high second round graded pick and they had to pick him at pick 20 because of one the value of quarterbacks being inflated and two the fact that the Pittsburgh Steelers didn't have another draft pick until I believe the third round of the draft this year so Pittsburgh had to take Kenny Pickett where they took him because he wasn't going to be available at a future pick for Pittsburgh to select. And if that's the case, they probably view him as a high-end backup because there is no reason Mitchell Trubisky should be starting for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And I know Mitch Trubisky had that, like, F it, George Pickens, or I don't even know, F it, Deontay Johnson's going to be down there somewhere. And he just, like, chucked one up, and Fryermuth caught it, and it was, like, one of the most impressive plays of the day. And... I was petrified the entire way down the field that Mitch Trubisky was going to throw a pick when at worst Pittsburgh was going to tie the game because Zach Taylor, once again, and I keep saying it over and over, Morgan from Australia has called me out on this shit. Zach Taylor called a timeout with... uh, In the divisional playoff game last year, Zach Taylor called timeout on the game-winning interception for the Bengals against the Titans that sent them to the AFC Championship game. The timeout was not awarded because the referees did not see it in time, but Zach Taylor tried to call timeout before the the play was snapped on the game-sealing interception for the Bengals. Is Zach Taylor a good coach? No, he is not. Is Zach Taylor a bad coach? I'd argue yes, but I don't know. Zach Taylor is in this weird in-between where he just got a contract extension, and I'm pretty sure he's going to get fired. What did Zach Taylor do this week? In a 2020 tie game in overtime, with a running clock, he punted the football to Pittsburgh, and pinned them, I'm sorry, it was a touchback, so they got it to 20. They snapped the ball 20 seconds early because it was a running clock. Remember that play, if you watched the game, where there was a fumble by Burrow and it was picked up by a running back and the running back ran it for like 16 yards, but you can't advance the ball because it's basically like the roll the ball forward thing when you're going to the ground. You can't advance the ball on a fumble. And so because of that, they thought the clock had stopped, but the clock was actually running. And so they punted the ball 20 seconds too early, and that difference in 20 seconds ended up being the reason the Bengals lost instead of the reason that the Bengals tied. 
and might be like, oh, well, everyone got fooled by that. Not Ian Eagle, who was calling the football game. Ian Eagle knew that the clock was running and set it over the air. He's like, wait, couldn't they have just ran the clock a little further? And Ian Eagle was exactly correct. Exactly correct. They just didn't show it on, uh, they, they just didn't see it. Bengals just messed it up. Clock kept running. And poor clock management ends up being the difference between the Bengals losing and the Bengals winning. Or, I'm sorry, the Bengals tying. But altogether, that game was chaotic and random, and one play was going to decide any moment of that game. That was just a coin flip to decide who wins between Pittsburgh and Cincinnati. Just an absolutely chaotic game. All of that was to say Mitch Trubisky should not be starting for the Pittsburgh Steelers because it doesn't buy them anything at this point, combined with the fact that Najee Harris and T.J. Watt are going to be out for an extended period of time. Uh, For T.J. Watt, he's going to have a a pec injury, like a torn pec, so he's going to be gone for at least most of the season. Najee Harris had either a foot or a back injury going into the season and then had to leave this game because of an injury, so Pittsburgh's got their two best players out for an extended period of time. They were already clearly not better than the Cincinnati Bengals, and so Pittsburgh is going to waddle their way to like a 7-10 and 10 record. And if you're going to do that, might as well play Kenny Pickett because this is already a wasted season for Pittsburgh. Might as well start to figure out how good Kenny Pickett actually is at playing football. And I know the Pittsburgh Steelers won. I know the Pittsburgh Steelers won the game today. The Pittsburgh Steelers defense sacked Joe Burrow seven times and one of them got called back for T.J. Watt because there was a holding by, uh, I forgot the name of the corner, I think it was Hilton for the Steelers. There was a holding in the secondary, and so they called one of the sacks back. That's eight sacks on Joe Burrow, which we've been saying that since last year. Joe Burrow just keeps getting destroyed because the Bengals' offensive line is no good. That's not the surprising part. Eight sacks, four interceptions, and a forced fumble by Joe Burrow. If you count sacks as like half of a turnover, which they can sometimes be, seven seven sacks plus having one called back on a penalty, that's basically like three added turnovers on those sacks. The difference is they're like punts. So they don't exact they they usually turn into punts, so they don't exactly count as like turnover turnovers, but Joe Burrow had a turnover where he threw it 50 yards down the field and it got intercepted and it was a punt interception and you know those all count the same on the stat book but when you take sacks they don't count the same turnovers are very confusing but basically the Steelers forced a turnover or a sack leading to a punt on eight different possessions for the Bengals they forced either a turnover or a punt turnover seven or eight times in this football game and the Pittsburgh Steelers still almost lost if the Cincinnati Bengals were playing any team that is equal to their level and the Cincinnati Bengals are going to be battling with the Dolphins for that seventh playoff spot and no one's going to know how to explain it when it happens if the Bengals were playing a playoff caliber team this week they lose by 21 points which if you're a Bengals fan, I know I talked to Blake Jude about this, and I'm sure he'll have more to say once he comes on either this week or next week. This has got to be a little bit gut-wrenching for the Bengals because you were so close. And at the same time, I'd argue they had no business being in that football game. And so the fact they were close is a positive to take away because 
the Pittsburgh Steelers should have won that game running away. They should have ran away with that victory. And the reason they didn't is this exact point, which is, do you want to know how many points the Pittsburgh Steelers scored off of not a turnover, just scored offensively off of punts or off of Bengals scores or the start of a half? Like, points that were not scored immediately off of turnovers. They had a pick six in this game, too. So one of them, the offense, wasn't even on the field. But we're saying immediately off of turnovers. For 69 nice minutes of football, the Pittsburgh Steelers, led by Mitchell Trubisky, had three points that were not off turnovers. There was a pick six. There was an interception that set Pittsburgh up in Cincinnati territory, and there was another, inter- uh, the fumble actually, the fumble set up Pittsburgh in Cincinnati territory. They scored 17 points off turnovers, and they scored three points not off of turnovers. Just their offense scored three points against the Cincinnati Bengals, and That's a Mitchell Trubisky goddamn offense if I've ever seen one. Last time we saw Mitchell Trubisky, he was putting up three points in regulation against the Saints, and only when they were down 20-3 to in that playoff game did he lead a touchdown drive in the two-minute drill of a meaningless, mounting-a-comeback football game. And that ain't the Mitchell Trubisky special. I don't know what is. Three points against the Packers opening night, his last season as the starter of the Bears. Yes. Getting benched for Nick Foles, he had 10 points of offense in the first three quarters. Yes. Mitchell Trubisky offenses. And the Steelers, again, are not a great offense. They, Everyone except Deontay Johnson was drafted by the team 2020 or later, and Deontay Johnson was only drafted in 2019. So every skill position player on the Steelers is in their first three seasons. And the only one who isn't Deontay Johnson is in his fourth. The entire Pittsburgh offense put up three points. And the Pittsburgh, I know it's small sample size. We all said at the start of the season, Pittsburgh's going to have a good defense. Pittsburgh's going to have a bad offense. And Pittsburgh's great advantage is going to be head coaching. That was pretty much the game plan in terms of Pittsburgh Steelers analysis. Pittsburgh's offense was shit. And if they had just been competent, they would have won that game by 21 points running away against the Cincinnati Bengals. And it was a super entertaining game. I just want to point out the fact that Pittsburgh's is injury prone they're going to be bad and Pittsburgh running away with that game would have won in any other circumstance if they were a playoff caliber team and Pittsburgh is not and now they lose TJ Watt and Najee Harris for extended periods of time and I said at the start of the year because I think like eight of the 10 best teams in football are in the AFC I mean I'm just eyeballing it maybe it's more like six of eight are in the AFC because, God, Justin Herbert is so good at football, and, God, the Chiefs are great, and the Cincinnati Bengals are clearly very good, and the the Baltimore Ravens are great, and Buffalo kicked ass. Like, those might be the five best teams in the NFL, and none of them are in the AFC. Like, one of those teams might miss the playoffs, and it's probably Cincinnati, but those might be the five best teams in football. The Bengals, the Ravens, the Chiefs, the Chargers, and the Buffalo Bills, and they're all in the same conference. But with so many good teams in the AFC, someone is going to have to go 6-11. and 11. Someone is going to have to go 7-10. and 10. We know the Jets are going to be bad. We know the Jags are bad. We know the Texans are bad. Uh, we know that, well, actually, that's really all we know is those three teams are going to be bad. 
And so just by the way the schedule breaks down, someone is going to have to finish 13th in the AFC. And last year, 13th in the NFC was the Falcons at 7-10. and 10. But that was just a weird year where everyone stacked up losses back to back to back. And so someone's going to have to go 7-10 and 10 or 6-11 and 11, who someone picked to make the playoffs. Whether that's the Patriots or the Steelers or the Dolphins or the Broncos, country let's ride. Whoever it ends up being, someone's going to lose a bunch of games where we're all going to be like, oh, this is clearly the disappointment of the season because that team having the same record as the Jaguars was not what I expected at the start of the year. And Pittsburgh is that team that looking at the injury list and the quarterback and the offense as a whole, Pittsburgh is probably that team at this point. And that was a team I would have picked at the start of the year as like one of the candidates because they're probably going to finish last in the AFC North, especially now that they've lost their two best players for an extended period of time. And so if I'm looking at that for Pittsburgh, just play Kenny Pickett. And I know I said with Kenny Pickett, I don't have all the information. Obviously, Mike Tomlin has more information than I do. I'm just looking at that game and I'm thinking there's no reason to not play Kenny Pickett from this point going forward because this year is already going to be lost most likely for Pittsburgh in the first place. And I know they're 1 and 0 and I know they have a few easy games on the schedule. The season is most likely going to be a loss for Pittsburgh and by the way Pittsburgh has the great advantage of Mike Tomlin is calling their defensive plays. Mike Tomlin is one of those five Hall of Fame coaches who we think adds value to the team in the same way that Bill Belichick has had a bottom 10 defense or a bottom 12 defense the last three seasons and has made the playoffs two out of three years and made uh, uh, one in AFC East and has made the playoffs twice in three years. It's quite remarkable the competitive advantage that scheming from Bill Belichick adds to the team, and we assume Mike Tomlin is one of those coaches as well, hence the fact that with, like, Duck Hodges, he had a winning record, and last year they made it to the playoffs inexplicably with a 9-7-1 record or whatever it was. Like, they inexplicably find ways to be a, a above 500 team every single year, even when their rosters don't suggest that they would be an above 500 team. And this year feels like it's going to be a loss for Pittsburgh. And so if they believe Kenny Pickett is worthy of the first round value and they expect him to be the starting quarterback in the future, no reason to not just put him out there at this point. And I'm not saying like wave the white flag. I'm saying that if Kenny Pickett is the quarterback that you believe he was by taking him late in the first round, and again, they might value him as a backup, high-end backup, or a quarterback who's a stopgap to something else. I don't know exactly how Pittsburgh evaluates Kenny Pickett. If you believe Kenny Pickett is a first-round caliber quarterback who can be your starter for the next 7 to 10 years, then just play him now because this this is the season to do it. There's no point in playing out this season, looking like without TJ Watt for the entire year, and... Najee Harris for an extended period of time there's no reason to play out this season go into next year and still have the unknown at the quarterback position and I know they're 1-0 I know they won that chaotic game they should have won that game by 21 points if they were a competent football team and a competent offense they would have won that game running away instead they scored three points on offense 17 points off of defensive turnovers, including a pick six, and two turnovers that set them up right in scoring position, and three points off of punts, and three points off of starting with the ball, not off of a turnover. 
And they scored the, the field goal at the end of overtime, obviously, which was Mitchell Trubisky having like the play of the year, which was, like I said earlier, F it, Devontae Adams got to be down there somewhere. And he hit Pat Fryermuth, and they got a 55-yard field goal, and they won the game with one F it play. And the entire time, I was just petrified that Mitch was going to mess it up. But he hit the one F it play, and so Pittsburgh gets a win instead of a tie with a Mitchell Trubisky F it to Pat Fryermuth and Zach Taylor's shitty game cl- clock management. The Pittsburgh Steelers get to be one and zero instead of one o o and one, or even more sad, o and one, despite the fact that they forced seven to eight effective turnovers I know they're not actual turnovers because sacks that force punts don't count as turnovers but effective punts and effective turnovers they had seven to eight and still almost lost to the Bengals who by the way for the Bengals I know we did mostly Steelers analysis for this segment for the Cincinnati Bengals like this could not have gone any worse In terms of the first game of the season, Joe Burrow got hit eight times with an offensive line that was supposed to be revamped. I mean, he got hit more times, but he got sacked seven times and an eighth sack that got called back because of a penalty on Pittsburgh. Eight sacks, four interceptions from Joe Burrow, which is by far the worst of his career. And he had a fumble too, so five turnovers for Joe Burrow. One of them, again, was a punt interception where he threw it 50 yards down the field and got picked. So that one's not the worst thing in the world, but... Obviously, eight sacks, eight effective sacks, five turnovers, and T. Higgins got concussed in the second quarter and didn't return. Like, that's just worst-case scenario for the Bengals. That is, like, the worst possible start you could have to a season. And they almost won, if not for the long snapper. Somehow the long snapper getting hurt was the difference more than five turnovers, T. Higgins getting injured, and eight sacks. Somehow not having the long snapper is the thing that like more directly leads to them losing. They almost ended up 1 and 0. That's I mean the the Bengals walk away from this game clearly better than the Pittsburgh Steelers. That's the way I look at this one. Clearly better because if they had lost by 21, it would have been easily explainable. Five turnovers including a pick 6 will do that. If they had won that game, Jamar Chase catches that game-winning touchdown and they make the extra point instead of the extra point getting blocked by Minka Fitzpatrick, they make that extra point. Bengals are 1-0 and and they had no business being 1-0. and Just no business at all being 1-0. and And that would be a huge, huge triumph for the Bengals because that just proves they are so much better than the Pittsburgh Steelers. They gave the Pittsburgh Steelers basically 28 points and the Steelers ended the game with only 20 they gave them 28 points and charged back all the way to force overtime and almost win the game if not for the long snapper getting hurt I know we'll talk to Blake Jude about it at some point so I'll save the Bengals stuff for another time but you got to be feeling awesome about that if you're the Cincinnati Bengals you got to be feeling awesome that you had the worst possible start you could imagine and still could have won that football game if not for the long snapper getting hurt you had the worst possible start coming off of making the Super Bowl that could have happened for the Bengals and still almost won 
That should be at least a very good positive to take away, even if the short-term sting of losing a game is going to hurt. And those games are going to count for Cincinnati because, as I said before, Baltimore is probably going to win the AFC North, and the Bengals might be battling it out with Miami for the last playoff spot, which is going to be very confusing to everyone involved. Kansas City Chiefs look good, huh? Kansas City, the greatest four-year run I've ever seen, and we have seen since the New England Patriots trade away Travis Kelsey, revamp their offense. Kansas City looks good. They look good. So I was watching the NFL Red Zone in the afternoon block, and I was calming down after all the craziness that happened with the, the end of the... Steelers and Bengals, which I know I didn't do any analysis of that actual end of the game, but that end of the game was just ridiculous. And the Colts-Texans game, which was basically the exact same score and the exact same scenario where uh, kind of rolls reverse, the Houston Texans just whooped that trick on the on the Indianapolis Colts, which I don't understand the whole thing with the Colts and week one games but if I were a a true Colts fan I would have gone insane by now I would have gone insane by the way that that football team ends up playing where they scored three points in the entire first three quarters of the game and were turning the ball over and Davis Mills was throwing deep bombs to Chris Moore and OJ Howard who they signed a week ago had two touchdowns and he's basically the best receiver the Texans have had since trading DeAndre Hopkins Houston was up 20 to 3 and then the football game just looked like it was supposed to look the entire way which was Colts field goal 20 to 6 Davis Mills fumbles the football recovered by the Colts Colts score touchdown 2013 Houston punts to Colts Colts score touchdown 20 to 20 okay we're going to overtime and then the Colts in overtime miss a field goal to win with Rodrigo Blankenship the legend and then Houston gets the ball I know I said we were talking about the Chiefs but I want to just talk about how crazy the end of this was it was third and one for the Houston Texans with a minute to go in overtime and they had third and one at I want to say the Colts 47 ballpark just to give you an idea and it was third and one They had three tight ends, one receiver, everyone bunched up. Colts had nine players on the line of scrimmage, maybe 10. You know it's going to be a run. They know it's going to be a run. Everyone watching knows it's going to be a run. And in my mind, I just, I said, actually, not just in my mind, I said out loud, sitting in my apartment watching this on the Red Zone channel, they're not going to get it just knowing they're not going to get it. And I said that out loud with Rex Burkhead in the backfield, and you've heard me talk about before, including partially on the Believe in Houston Texans podcast. The Houston Texans were run by a team pastor who prays with the owner, and the owner is a nepotism baby who his first job with the team was sitting in an office at 27 years old and playing video games while an assistant to his dad. 
a dad who once said that we can't have the inmates running the asylum and is good friends with Mitch McConnell. That Houston Texans team with a team pastor who's not qualified to run a football team running the football team because he prays with the team owner. That team has gone 8 and 25 the last 3 seasons, or sorry, the last 2 seasons since they were up 24-0 on the Kansas City Chiefs. We celebrate it every January 12th. Every January 12th the Texans were up 24-0 on the Chiefs. Since then they have gone 8 and 25. And they have only Davis Mills and Rex Burkhead to show for it. They gave up all of their picks to the Dolphins. They gave up DeAndre Hopkins and J.J. Watt for nothing to the Cardinals. Field both of those teams' best runs of the last 15 years. I know Arizona was a little bit better for a while there. But basically the best run of football either of those teams have had for 15 years. And then they gave Deshaun Watson to the Cleveland Browns the sexual predator who they got three first-round picks for in a dirty exchange and paid $37 million to not play last year because he's a sexual predator who requested a trade. The Houston Texans have funded three different NFL teams, most successful runs of the past 15 years, and have gone 8-25 and and have only Davis Mills and Rex Burkhead to show for it. And that tandem of Davis Mills and Rex Burkhead sitting in the backfield in a bunch formation, I said out loud, they're not going to get it. Third and one, minute to go in overtime, trying to get into field goal range. And they hand it off to Burkhead, and he lost two yards. It was fourth and three. And I just felt impossibly sad for the Houston Texans. And then they punted to the Colts, which on a fourth and three at midfield, wins don't matter for the Texans. Why not just go for it? But they gave it back to the Colts. And the game ended in a tie, a game that the Texans should have won running away. Until in the fourth quarter, nothing really changed. It's just the Texans played like the Texans and the Colts played like the Colts and they erased a 17-point deficit like that. And so after all of that going on, after the Falcons blew a 16-point lead in the fourth quarter to the Saints, which, by the way, sometime in the next two weeks, we're going to dedicate a full podcast to finding out how many of these the Falcons have had since 28-3. How many times they have been up 26-10, 30 to 17, 21 to 3. It it's happened so many times now. With different regimes, different coaches, different quarterbacks, it just I that franchise is cursed. It's cursed. The Falcons were up 26 to 10 with 11 minutes to go in the fourth quarter. And with a minute left to play, they were down 27 to 26. They gave up 17 points in 10 minutes. I don't understand how it's possible. I, I don't understand it. And both of those were going on. The Steelers and Bengals were going on. And after seven minutes of all that chaotic craziness, we finally get to the part that I wanted to talk about in the first place, which was everything had calmed down. And I was watching the Red Zone channel in the afternoon, and I was once again realizing, oh my God, Justin Herbert is so good at football. And I'm ready to move Justin Herbert into the elite tier, but I'm not going to do it yet because we need a large enough sample size and one game is not enough to change the tides on that. Justin Herbert is like the precipice of being elite right there with Josh Allen, Aaron Rodgers, and Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson in the elite category. Justin Herbert's right there, ready to jump up. Just need a larger sample size. And I'm watching the afternoon block and simultaneously... The Kansas City-Arizona game 
and the Green Bay Minnesota game were going on identically with identical drives from the Packers and the Chiefs. And this was the drive for Green Bay. I don't know if you remember watching this for those of you who were watching. The Packers were moving the ball down the field and they got stuffed at the goal line in the first half. It was like fourth down or like second down at the two yard line and they couldn't punch it in and they turned over on downs and then immediately Kirk Cousins threw to Justin Jefferson for 60 yards. And I think the Vikings ended that drive with a field goal. But it was 7 nothing or 14 nothing. It was either 7, I think it was 7 nothing. And Green Bay in the second quarter worked the ball down to the goal line. It was like the one good drive of the game for Green Bay before they scored that touchdown late in a meaningless loss to the Vikings. That won't mean anything 16 weeks from now because the Packers will probably still win that division. Packers have been blown out week one like four years in a row now. It's really weird. Happened against the Bucks. happened against the Saints. Now it's happened against the Vikings. It's really weird how that keeps happening. But I'm watching this and... At the same time the Packers are moving the ball down the field, Kansas City is moving the ball down the field for their third touchdown drive. At the time, it was 14-7. to And Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers completed 21 passes in a row simultaneously on the red zone channel, which was a moment of realization for me where the Chiefs are going to be fine and the Packers are going to be fine. And I know the result didn't go the way for the Packers, and Justin Jefferson looks like he's going to have like a 2,000 receiving yards this year. The Chiefs are going to be fine is easy because they put up 44 points, and they put up 40 points in their sleep against better de- or against yeah against better defenses than the Arizona Cardinals. And the Packers are going to be okay because they don't have Devontae Adams. And their offense is predicated on Rodgers moving the ball in 2.5 seconds, using A.J. Dillon, using Aaron Jones, using the the array of wide receivers, whether it's Alan Lazard or Christian Watson or Geronimo Allison or Robert Tunyon or any uh, Richard Rodgers, any of the generic wide receivers they've had over the past eight years. The, the offense is built on quick passes, timing and spacing, and the Packers can replicate success with most of these guys enough to... Uh, get them 20 points and control time of possession. Obviously, when push comes to shove, they need big-time plays from Aaron Rodgers. Sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't, but Aaron Rodgers makes more big-time plays than his counterparts. So the Packers were going to be fine. What was interesting about watching it with the Chiefs was during that stretch of 21 consecutive completions, Patrick Mahomes completed 14 passes in a row, and most of them were out routes to Juju Smith-Schuster. Uh, uh, drag routes or quick slant routes to uh, I, not Sky Moore, whoever number t- whoever the guy is that replaced Tyreek Hill, who wears number ten on the Chiefs. I forgot I, I forgot what his name was, but number ten on Kansas City uh, also being in this group. And I'm watching this play out for the Kansas City Chiefs, and. Seeing Rodgers do it, I've been watching that for like eight years with different coordinators and coaches and receivers. I've been watching that forever. Seeing Mahomes do it with the two and a half seconds or less offense, with Clyde Edwards-Alaire getting passes out of the backfield. I think Clyde Edwards-Alaire had two touchdowns in the game, but he caught like seven or eight passes in the first three quarters of the game. Seeing Patrick Mahomes run that offense that I'm used to seeing uh, Aaron Rodgers run, 
that I'm used to seeing Tom Brady run for years, the two and a half second or less offense where it's not predicated on the big plays. Watching that was revelatory for me because I haven't seen it for an extended period of time. And I love watching the Kansas City Chiefs. I've talked before about the reason this podcast exists. The reason I wanted to get back into football and do analysis stuff is because of Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes has provided me with a generation of memories. A generation of memories in the NFL, going back to the crazy MVP season in 2018, the Super Bowl in 2019, 2020, where he went 27-1 in games that he started between 2019 and the Super Bowl they lost to the Bucks 27 and 1 in games Patrick Mahomes started literally unbeatable when Patrick Mahomes plays quarterback for the Kansas City Chiefs and then last year for them to the last it's 9 weeks of the season shut everyone up and go 8 and 1 and should have gone to the Super Bowl. And they hosted the AFC Championship for the fourth year in a row. They should have gone to the Super Bowl until they throw up all over themselves in the AFC Championship game. I love watching the Kansas City Chiefs play football. And it's the reason that I had an emotional type of feeling when they beat the Buffalo Bills in the playoffs, where I was like, oh God, am I emotional? Is my is part of my emotional stability tied up in the success of Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs? And I realized that answer might be yes. Seeing them score 40 points and doing it with underneath routes and exploiting matchups with the worst cornerback room in the NFL with the Cardinals and Mahomes completing 30 passes and a lot of them were to uh, Isaiah Pacheco. That's who I was thinking of. That's number 10. Had 12 um, rushes and Pacheco had no catches on the game, but Clyde Edwards-Alaire had three catches and two receiving touchdowns in the game. Uh, Juju Smith-Schuster had six catches. MVS had four catches. And it was so interesting to watch Kansas City play that type of offense because I wasn't used to watching Kansas City do that and be able to put up points because Patrick Mahomes can complete 75% of his passes and also take the top off with a 30-yard completion to Sky Moore, or Kelsey in the middle of the field going for 35 yards, where he, like, Mahomes rolls to his left and does the crazy Mahomes thing where he buys time, and it's impossible to guard Kelsey for and Tyreek Hill in the past, but impossible to guard Kelsey for more than five to six seconds, and he hits in these small windows. And Justin Herbert was doing some of this shit, too, during the afternoon window. Like, I've said it twice already, I'll say it again. God, Justin Herbert is so good at football. Herbert was doing the same shit, and watching Mahomes do it was so much fun because those big plays were still there, those 30-yard plays where uh, Arizona went for it on fourth down right before the half, and they didn't get it, and Kansas City had to go 40 yards in 40 seconds, and they did it in 25. And I was just like, God, it's so much fun to watch that, but it was so interesting for them to score points and move the football at will with an offense I'm used to watching Aaron Rodgers run where it's running backs out of the backfield making catches, screenplays to uh, MVS, screenplays to Juju Smith-Schuster. It wasn't Pacheco I was thinking of. I was thinking of, um, well, he had the touchdown to that one tight end, but I I can't remember who it was now. Oh, it was Jarek McKinnon. That's who it was. Jarek McKinnon had three catches out of the backfield. That's the person I was thinking of who had the the play, the running backs in two and a half seconds or less, so that even if the Chiefs' offensive line breaks down, they can still make plays happen because running backs slide out of the backfield and Clyde Edwards Alaire has two touchdowns. Because you can try and guard them short field with Juju. You can move linebackers into coverage. You can pressure Mahomes with five. But then the running back will slide out and be part of the passing game. 
And that's something I wasn't used to watching with Kansas City. And so watching them play that game was super interesting because, it, I mean, it made me realize, obviously, the Chiefs are going to be fine. The Chiefs are going to dominate. They're going to win the AFC West, most likely. It was just interesting to see them do it in a way where I hadn't watched Kansas City play like that, where they look more like the Packers with Aaron Rodgers than they do the Chiefs with uh, Patrick Mahomes, where it's top off the ball, Kelsey middle of the field. Kelsey does a lot of those short yardage plays, but Tyreek Hill opens up the offense, and now Kansas City was saying, we don't need to open up the offense. Sure, it's nice to have the the offense spread out, and we're always going to run spread formation, but we just need to work sideline to sideline and in the short fields, and that's how we're going to move the ball because then they're going to have to draw back in on the defense, and then we can go 35 yards to Kelsey. We can go 30 yards to Sky Moore. We can go, uh, Michael, well, Michael Hardman didn't have a big catch in the game, but we can go 17-yard play to MVS sliding out of the backfield and running a fade route. Like We can do all these different things because the offense is now once again open up, and I expect that Michael Hardman will eventually have a 50-60 yard touchdown mixed in there because they can do so much with the offense once they spread things out and force everyone to drop down because Patrick Mahomes is going to complete 14 consecutive passes and that's where he got in trouble with interceptions last year was he was taking bigger shots middle of the field and they were playing the double high safeties that were either intercepting the deep ball or dropping down on the mid uh, on the medium throws and either getting interceptions on a couple or at the very least forcing incompletions. Patrick Mahomes is going to complete 14 passes in a row and they're going to be able to move the ball at will. Not much you can do to guard that defense because you're going to play to take away the deep ball. And maybe not having Tyreek Hill and subbing Michael Hardman or Sky Moore in there changes the offense. Like them trying to be like Tyreek Hill isn't going to be as effective as having Tyreek Hill. Maybe that's the case and maybe it changes how the Chiefs are effective with the deep ball. Although Patrick Mahomes can throw it deep and accurate. So I assume that even if they can't do all the shit they do with Tyreek Hill, they can still move the ball at will by having those guys look something like what the Chiefs receivers have looked like over the past four years. We just need a larger sample size to find that out. And the sample size today is that the Chiefs are okay picking you apart with 14 consecutive completions each for six yards and scoring two touchdowns at a time. And that's really interesting because it's not the offense I'm used to seeing Kansas City run. It was still fun to watch, though. Dolphins look not bad, huh? I was going to say kind of good, and then I looked back at the stats, and uh, my kind of good may have been blurred a little bit by the Jalen Waddle crazy touchdown and Tyreek Hill having eight catches for 100 yards, which is like the first time a Dolphin receiver has had eight catches and 100 yards in like 25 games. 
which would mean it would be the first time in Tua's career that a Dolphins wide receiver had eight catches for 100 yards in a football game. So maybe I was looking at that with rose-colored glasses. The Dolphins look kind of good. Mike McDaniel, who again, I will reiterate, plan C head coaching hire. The Dolphins, he was their plan C. They wanted Sean Payton, then they wanted Brian Dayball, who beat the Tennessee Titans today, which is goddamn hilarious, and... They, then they settled on Mike McDaniel. Couldn't run the ball. And I know everyone was yelling about Mike McDaniel's, the zone running scheme and all that stuff. They tried it. Didn't really work that well. They had their two running backs, Mostert and Edmonds, 17 carries for 41 yards on the game. But Tua looked pretty good. Had a few bad throws. He looked better than Derek Carr. And if Tua can consist, I mean, it's obviously small sample size. So, like, this is just the best analysis I can do on a game that was interesting, but not really, like, any connections can be drawn between them. But, like, Derek Carr played bad with all his new receivers, and Tua played a little bit better, didn't turn the ball over any time during the game, only got sacked three times. So it was not bad. Dolphins looked not bad kind of petered out on analysis there but I just wanted to acknowledge that that Patriots Dolphins game was interesting and the Patriots are basically going to be the Carolina Panthers this year both teams are going to win seven games eliminated from the playoffs two weeks to go in the season probably on the same weekend at the same time New England Panthers baby 2022 Uh, what else was interesting oh I just mentioned it a second ago the New York Giants beat the Tennessee Titans Shout out to the New York Giants, by the way. You know how early on I was crapping on the Texans for punting the ball at midfield in overtime and just settling for the tie? And wins don't matter for the Texans? Wins don't matter for the New York Giants. I said in week six last year, there's no reason Daniel Jones should play another game as Giants quarterback, and they're going to let him play more games than Tua has started for the Dolphins. After we know Daniel Jones is not a good quarterback and not a starter in the NFL, the Giants are going to show him patience of another 18 football games after week six of last year. A definitive conclusion. I don't need any more data. Daniel Jones, not good at football. And he's going to get 18 more games to start after that. Actually, I think he's going to get 22 if I'm counting right. I think he got hurt at the end of last year, but he could have got at most 22 starts after concluding that there was no reason Daniel Jones should be starting an NFL football game again. But when the New York Giants scored the go-ahead touchdown, or sorry, scored the theoretical game-tying touchdown, they were down seven points. They scored a touchdown with two minutes left to play. When the New York Giants scored that touchdown, they decided to be ballsy and go for two. And they got it. They went for it, and they got it. And that was super-duper fun. That the New York Giants, they they knew this game was meaningless. They knew that there was no reason they should have won that football game other than the Tennessee Titans are not actually that good. And the AFC South is a pyramid scheme. Prove it once again today. Texans and Colts tied each other. Titans lost to the Giants. Entire conference, pyramid scheme. I'm sorry, entire division, pyramid scheme. And the Giants went for it. And Saquon Barkley got a two-point conversion catch. Saquon Barkley had 161 rushing yards and they only scored 21 points. Somehow only scoring 21 points. 
Saquon Barkley had the best rushing game any NFL player has had since Derrick Henry in like week five of last season. Even Jonathan Taylor, when he absolutely pummeled the Patriots late in the season, did not have as many rushing yards as Saquon Barkley had today against the Titans. And the Giants only scored 21 points. And they won. They won the game with the best rushing performance any running back has had since the middle of 2021. And that's pretty freaking cool. That they went for two at the end of the game. They didn't want to play overtime. Best chance for the Giants to win was to go for it with a minute and nine seconds left in the game. Just go for two. Your team is shit. Might as well. You know who's the leading receiver? Sterling Shepard. He had one catch for six yards and a 65-yard catch and run. Sterling Shepard had that one big play. The other leading receiver, the next closest leading receiver for the Giants, I don't even know who he is. Is it Richie James? Yeah, it's Richie James. Was he on, uh, was Richie James on the, the 49ers maybe? I don't know. But Richie James was the, the leading receiver in terms of catches. Well, actually, catches with Saquon Barkley, but Richie James had the most yards if you take away that one gigantic play that's going to inflate Daniel Jones's passer rating because it was a catch and run for Sterling Shepard. Daniel Jones had two touchdowns, two turnovers, took five sacks, but he only threw four incompletions because other than the 60-plus yard play to Sterling Shepard, they didn't really let him throw the ball around the field very much. And the New York Giants won because Saquon Barkley is awesome and because the Tennessee Titans are the same frauds that I said they were last year. Number one, this, this, this was the easiest one to do, although I love me some Patrick Mahomes and I love me some Aaron Rodgers. This is far and away what I'm rooting for the most on Super Bowl Sunday, which is number one, Anyone except the Tennessee Titans. That is my number one Super Bowl matchup. I want anyone to play in the Super Bowl other than the Tennessee Titans. It can be the Chiefs. It can be the Bills. It could be the Cincinnati Bengals even. It'd be weird if it was the Cincinnati Bengals, but let it be anyone other than the team I have said consistently is the sixth best team in the AFC. So my number one Super Bowl matchup is get the bleep out Tennessee Titans. I'm just fascinated that the Titans wound up with the number one seed, uh, <laughs> that was bizarre. I mean, this is the thing that I've said all week, which is I, I know there are tiebreakers, but the tiebreakers are wrong. The tiebreakers were just wrong this year. That the Titans are the ones beat over the Chiefs, and the Eagles got in over the Saints. Both of those tiebreakers were just wrong in doing the analysis of who's a better team. Because I know the Chiefs, w- the Chiefs could go to Tennessee tomorrow and be seven point favorites, and. Well, the fact that they have to play the Steelers on Wild Card Weekend is unfortunate. I- you take that away from the Titans, they are essentially what the Bengals are, what the Saints are, what the Chargers are, and what the Broncos are, just by taking away Derrick Henry. And so that is why, even with the easy strength of schedule, the Titans were always going to be in jeopardy because... They can be beaten on any given Sunday, and I know that's a cliche, but the Titans can't score points. It's the same way the Steelers are, where... I wish the NFL could have gone to 16-team playoff this year so that the Colts could have played the Titans in the first round, gone into Tennessee, and beaten the Titans. Because the Colts are better than the Titans, the Bengals are better than the Titans, the Ravens with Lamar Jackson are better than the Titans... 
that team wins because they get that turnover margin. And I get to be proven right in spectacular fashion that the Tennessee Titans are incapable of scoring points. Is that the schedule does not matter. Yes, the Chiefs may have a really difficult strength of schedule, but the Kansas City Chiefs are still really, really good. The Titans may have an easy schedule the rest of the way, but they're also not very good. So they're going to lose some of these games because the Tennessee Titans, as we talked about with the Saints comparison earlier, they're about the level of an average NFL team. Love the montage of me being right about the Titans. I don't get to share it very much, but I do love occasionally dropping the Titan montage into the the list of uh, football accolades. Uh, Justin Jefferson kicked ass today. Okay, cool, check. Uh, Detroit Lions are going to be bad, but at least the Detroit Lions are going to be bad and entertaining this year. That's something that couldn't be said in the past. They were entertaining last year for parts. But at least Detroit is going to score a lot of points, theoretically, and give up a lot of points this year. That seems to be the general vibe the Detroit Lions are giving off, is we're going to score a shit ton of points, and we are going to give up a shit ton of points. Both teams are going to score in the 30s, uh, but sometimes we're only going to score nine points because Jared Goff is our quarterback, and we're going to probably go like 6-11 and 11 or 7-10 and 10 or something like that. But DeAndre Swift, 144 rushing yards. Him and Saquon Barkley both just went absolutely berserk for teams that are both going to be shit this year. Uh, oh yeah, 49ers-Bears. We'll we'll talk about that one another time. I'm not exactly sure how to do the breakdown of the 49ers and the Bears game. Uh, give me some time. I'll figure that one out. We'll, we'll circle back around to that one either later this week or next week, but I don't really have much to analyze about 49ers and Bears, so we'll kind of just kick that one down the road. All right, it is time for the return of the Philip Rivers Memorial Kirk Cousins Purgatory Award for 2022. Last year, I started keeping a tally every single week on the NFL Monday. I guess we did it on Memes of the Weekend, which we're not bringing back this year. But on every Monday following the NFL season, I handed out the Philip Rivers Memorial Award for... The team who found themselves in what is now known as Kirk Cousins Purgatory, which is down six, one minute to go, no timeouts, needing to go 80 yards. Philip Rivers spent 17 years of his NFL career stuck, down six, no timeouts, length of the field to go in one minute. And he will take that to the Hall of Fame. Sometimes he'd convert, sometimes he wouldn't, but he would always find himself down six, one minute, no timeouts, length of the field to go. And so Kirk Cousins last year won the award seven times. And so we named the award in Kirk Cousins' honor because Kirk Cousins assumed the mantle once Philip Rivers stepped away from football, and he will carry that torch for the remainder of his mediocre NFL career. I shouldn't say mediocre. Kirk Cousins has been a starter in the NFL for 10 years now. His career win percentage is exactly 500. This week's award for week one is going to be delivered to the man who, in the bold spirit of the Kirk Cousins Philip Rivers Award did find himself the closest to Kirk Cousins Purgatory, which was down six, one timeout, 75 yards to go, and 
one minute and ten seconds left to play. And he did win the game, which usually to win the game you have to be a pretty decent quarterback, at least at the level of, say, a Phillip Rivers or a Kirk Cousins. Because again, Phillip Rivers and Kirk Cousins would sometimes win, sometimes wouldn't, but they would always find themselves down six. So this person actually came back and tied the game, and then they got their extra point blocked, and it was the chaos game, but it's Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow gets to win the award for the first time here in week one of 2022. He did not get the award at all last year. If you're keeping count at home of people who have won the award more than once, it would be Kirk Cousins winning it seven times last season, and you also have two from Jared Goff, and uh, I believe you have just, I think those are the only people who have repeated. Matt Ryan has won the award in the past. Uh, Cam Newton has won the award. Big Ben got it once before he retired. Zach Wilson, Tom Brady, Jimmy Garoppolo. Trades off every now and again. It's better when it's someone who repeats. So uh, Jared Goff is the closest we're going to get to a repeat. And he almost had it today. If the, if the Eagles had just been stopped on that fourth and one Jared Goff would have had 28 seconds down three no timeouts length of the field to go which is pretty close to to Philip Rivers purgatory Uh, but the Eagles went for it on fourth down and converted so no Jared Goff this week instead Joe Burrow with his five interceptions or sorry four interceptions one fumble and eight sacks effectively finds uh, his performance memorialized for the rest of time in the week one of 2022 Kirk Cousin, Philip Rivers Memorial Kirk Cousins Purgatory Award. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for stopping in to NFL Monday. Hope you enjoyed the show. Leave a five-star review wherever it is that you get podcasts. Make sure to download, make sure to support, make sure to do all that good stuff. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. And in the meantime, take it easy, everybody. up to mickey d's just for drinks oh yeah that's me nothing extra just perfection and a straw coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block because there are drinks then there are drinks from mcdonald's mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for a dollar 49 perfect with our classic fries price and participation may vary cannot be combined with any other offer ba-da-ba-ba-ba